They patrol the monuments to gridiron legends, but you better get the hell out of the way when they come rolling through. Randy Heights and Ryan Chapman are the Heisman Park Rangers, presented by the Highball Network. Well, friends, it was College Game Day in Oklahoma. The last time College Game Day was in Norman, there was a big thunder trade. Check the box. We got that. James Harden's gone. Steve Adams gone. And oh, yeah, the Oklahoma Sooners rolled the Cowboys yet again. Randy, business as usual, it seems. Yeah, it was. I mean, interesting game on Saturday, and it was kind of one of those. The the elements were there. It was cold. It was crisp. It was what everyone calls football weather, but at least we didn't have an ice bowl. Right. And the game Saturday, you heard our predictions last week, didn't come as a shock. I will say the one thing. Oh, you said it was an interesting game. I thought you were talking about the uh, Ohio State-Indiana game. Because there, well, there was little interesting about this Bedlam game. It was just full speed ahead from that OU defensive line. Well, that's true. I mean, and, and I think that's the one thing you and I have both talked about for the last several weeks. That defensive line is the best defensive line in the Big 12, bar none. I I will – I mean, West Virginia could prove us wrong this week. Right. But that that line is the best defensive line. And we'll all admit, Oklahoma secondary, not the greatest secondary. But you know what that defensive line does? It makes that secondary better because guess what? Instead of having forever to find a receiver, you got to blink of an eye or you're going to get killed. Yes. And that's the thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, not only – was the defensive line electric, Randy? Mm. It, it they had the stadium. I was in the stadium, fortunate enough to you know have I've been able to find my way into some t- some tickets to be inside the stadium all year long this year. Thank you, thank you. Um, you couldn't tell that there were just twenty five percent capacity. Where they're just in that stadium. I'm here to tell you there were more than 25. I was going to say, were there just? Uh, there were more than 25% capacity. At least either that or uh, not all 25% has showed up to a single game this year other than Bedlam. Th- both of those things could be true, I guess. Because for those of you wondering why it looks so packed, there are not fans in the upper deck. And really, the south end zone's pretty empty. So it's 25% mostly allocated to the lower area of basically the like horse the old horseshoe okay, type thing maybe the 25 yeah hasn't shown up yeah so that, that's what i've noticed all year long is that it's 25 percent, but it's kind of strategically placed to get everyone as close to the field as possible i think but uh it was electric and that defensive line holy cow the shit they were talking you could tell this is a group that was tired of hearing about the vaunted Oklahoma State defense for two weeks. They came out, and they wanted to prove a point, and I think we can say by the end of this game, by the end of the first quarter, message received. Yeah, I mean, it, it was incredible, and really both sides of the ball. Yeah, OSU's defense didn't just totally melt down, but in that first quarter, I I knew after the first drive, because OSU's defense was the unit, right, that everyone was counting on for OSU to give them a chance to win. Right. You know, that's what everyone – and when you looked at that first drive for Oklahoma and you're like, wow, that looked like they just played Missouri State as fast as they scored. And that's not meant as an insult. That's just how the good, the offense clicked. And you're like, oh, boy. Yeah. Buckle up. And when Oklahoma's defense came out like a possessed animal, basically, and that first drive shut Oklahoma State down. Granted, penalties hurt. Right. But then just shut them down, got the ball back, and then the offense went right back downfield again. It was Katie barred the door, and really, I will say this, that's where you give credit to the defense a little at that point in time for Oklahoma State. 
because it had a chance to get truly ugly, truly out of hand. And they went back to that philosophy we talked about, the bend but don't break, and they survived. What was it? Four straight drives where Oklahoma ended up on three of them with field goals, I think it was. Right, yeah. And the other one a punt from long range. So, I mean, they they did some things in the right way. Yeah. But that offense never got on track for Oklahoma State. I, I actually think this is going to be weird to say out of a team that gave up 41 points. Like, I think the OSU defense showed a lot of guts to, like, get up off the mat and, and give their team a chance. Because, Randy, um, like, we were talking – at, at halftime, if Oklahoma State's able to get anything going, OSU's going in, getting a score, and then coming out w- with the ball at half with a chance to cut it to a seven-point game. Your defense could get a stop at a halftime, and all of a sudden you're getting the ball. Like, that was very much in the cards. And like you said, they had those field goals, hold, holding OU to field goals, things like that. And even that, like, third touchdown, they were obviously handed a short field on the awesome David Aguebu interception, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But, like, I thought the OSU defense did a really good job Honestly, because I think it was kind of like, think back to the Orange Bowl. Oh, you played against right. Alabama, the Kyler Murray Orange Bowl, where the offense played dreadful for that first quarter. And then they kind of said, okay, this is the speed of the Alabama defense. We haven't seen anything like this all year. And they were able to kind of, you know, punch back right a little bit and hold their own. Yeah. I think that it was a similar situation for the OSU defense, that they haven't seen an O-line like this all year long, haven't seen receivers, a quarterback, a running back like, well, Brees Hall, um, but, you know, haven't seen everything clicking like this. Right. And I think that they did okay. Now, granted, Lincoln kind of went into his vanilla shell a little bit, which was fine, but I thought they did okay to come back. The problem was in that Orange Bowl, OU's defense gave them no chance to even try to get back into the game. Mm -hmm. The Oklahoma State offense was so bad, it did not give the defense any chance to even say, hey, we we figured it out, we're able to at least compete on plays instead of just getting blown off the ball. And I think you're right. Some of that's a credit to Oklahoma State. Some of it, you kind of wonder what Lincoln did with the vanilla offense again because you saw in the fourth quarter, late in the third, when OU decided, you know what, let's put this game away. Right. It's like they flipped the switch on the offense, and all of a sudden, there you go. They're just doing what they want to do again. So it's kind of like, Lincoln, hey, you know in those first two quarters, if you just put that foot down on the pedal and leave it, it's over. Right. It, it's totally over. But I'll be honest, even as much as they held it, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not kidding. When I watch a game, there are times I get nervous in a game. Like Texas, even though you had the big lead, I was like, you know, just hold, you know, before they even made the run, there was that pit in my stomach, like, this isn't going right. Right. I never, even when you looked at it, like what you're talking about, that end of the first half, going to, I was like, Zender going, my, I had a couple of buddies like, I don't know, man, they got to do something. I'm like, dude, it's okay. Right. I'm like, this is, I'm like, I, there was nothing that ever made you go, they're going to come back in this. And part of it, you want me to go back to another side and we'll blame OSU and Coach Gundy. I, I, I don't know who. Why in the world did they leave the statue in there that long? I, and I think Illingworth will be a really good quarterback in time at Oklahoma State, but you've got a bad offensive line. You've got a quarterback that has no mobility, and that defensive line is eating it up. And, yeah, they didn't necessarily sack him a bunch, but how many times did he just get drilled because, oh, here comes Ronnie Perkins. Oh, here comes Isaiah Thomas. I mean – it was just ridiculous. I couldn't figure out. And then you put Spencer Sanders back in when the game's at hand. It's like, what? what is going on? Yeah, uh, so I have to say 
this was perplexing because in the stadium, obviously don't have the benefit of, I went back and watched the broadcast, you know, later Mm -hmm. prepping, going back over it, seeing what I missed. Like I didn't have the benefit of the confusion that I'm sure you had when like Holly Rowe comes on and says, Spencer Sanders hasn't been ruled out. They haven't taken his helmet. Like it's kind of drive to drive. Like they haven't ruled him out. They're going to see in the stadium after Ronnie Perkins took his soul and ragdolled him, which we need to talk about that here in a second. Oh, we'll get into it. I assume, based off of the the way that his head like hit the ground and stuff like that, I assumed concussion protocol he's done. And I was never intelligent enough to like look back over on the sideline and see that he still had his helmet with him, knowing that, okay, if it's concussion protocol, they take the helmet. I just assume, oh, he's done. I was actually in the bathroom when I hear on the th- – the uh, broadcast. Oh, over the speakers, yeah, yeah, like I heard to- uh, Teddy be like, hey, Toby, uh, Spencer Sanders is coming back into the game. And I was like, what? <laughs> Excuse I mean, me? I mean, that I, was an option? Exactly. Because I was like, they're putting him in. I, I mean, I was just sitting there looking at people like, is this is this real? Because it, it made no logical sense. And this isn't ripping Illingworth. This is more of like, all right, fine. Illingworth came in, right, after Sanders got hurt. Thanks to a bookie stupid penalty, Oklahoma State gets a touchdown. So I understand going, you know what? We're going to go back out there with Shane again. We're going to see what we can do. You know, it seemed like some things started moving in the right direction. At one point, he had missed, what, 14 of his last 15 passes? Yes. That's when you go, hey, this was a nice experiment. Let's let's move on. Yeah, it, it's just one of those things. It's, this is what we talked about in the lead-up. This was the great unknown. The X factor was the legs of Spencer Sanders. Mm-hmm. There were rumors rolling around that OSU was going to get an offensive lineman or two back. Fine, whatever. We knew even with that unit, they couldn't block Tulsa. Tulsa's a fine defense. Right. Tulsa does not have a single soul on the defensive line that looks like the eight guys OU can roll out platooning. Oh, he does have a linebacker to, to match up with right. uh Xavier. Yeah, exactly. But but as far as the defensive line goes, like we knew it didn't matter. And Spencer Sanders' legs were going to be what won or lost OSU the game. Can he extend plays? Cuz if he could, Tylen Wallace is running wide open. For instance, David Aguebu tips that ball, picks it off. If not, that is a 50-yard gain to Tylen Wallace because Trey Brown was nowhere near right. him. Like, that was a thing happening. OSU's only touchdown. Why did that happen? Because Tylen Wallace snapped back into the middle of the field and all the OU DBs ran that way, leaving uh, the the other tight end wide open. Like, Tylen Wallace is that good. Can Spencer Sanders extend plays long enough to get the ball to him? The answer was no, but it's sure as hell not happening with Illingworth. Like, Illingworth is like one, two, three. That's just the only threat was intentional grounding because, like, you knew that you had three seconds. So that's putting even more pressure on Tylen Wallace to say, not only do you have to beat your guy, you have to beat him in two and a half seconds to even have a chance to get in the ball. Well, and remember, that's what I talked about with you last week. I said, for sure, uh, the OSU fans I knew that wanted Shane Illingworth in his quarterback are like, that is like a godsend to this Oklahoma defensive line. And, and it panned out, you know. And I got to admit, if I'm Spencer Sanders today, I'm not real happy. Yeah. With my spot at Oklahoma State. Not because I don't think I'm good enough to still be the starter, but I'm going, you let this guy have two quarters, two full quarters? Right. Really two and a half before putting me back in? What's going on, Coach? Well, I I think this is where, okay, I guess this easy target, Mike Gundy is always an easy target after Bedlam games, but you think back to – He's been, I mean, the fans are even coming after him now. A lot that have supported him. Right. But if you think back to 
what Lincoln Riley did in the Cotton Bowl, he benched Spencer Rattler. Tanner Mordecai had a great first drive. Unfortunately, it was cut short for him, no fault of his own, by a TJ Pledger fumble. Um, or what did he score first, get a field goal first? Yeah. And, and then, like, right. the, the the next drive, it was moving fine, and the TJ Pledger fumble happened. Right. Then he came back out one more time, and nothing was happening. It didn't look good, didn't look threatening, went into half. Guess who came back immediately after? Like, as soon as Mordecai fizzled out, as soon as everyone yeah. realized this is not working, Spencer Rattler was coming back out. That is not what happened with Mike Gundy. No. Because Illingworth comes in. Very, very similar. Very first drive. Three completions. The Buki taunting, which we'll talk about, um, gets them their their only touchdown of the game. Great. The next drive, the ball moved a little bit. Got a field goal. Okay, you're scoring points. After that, like when you put your backup in, he sh- he's your backup for a reason. It needs to be a drive-by-drive evaluation. And I don't understand, if that's how they viewed it, how you got all the way through the third quarter before going, we need to put the most dynamic guy in. Error prone or not, hurt or not, he's going to give us the best chance to get back into this game, and that was Spencer Sanders. And it's not like his interception that he threw, and we'll get into that, but whether it was or wasn't, it still wasn't his fault necessarily. It was a dynamic play of jumping up and tipping the ball. It's not like he made a bad read. Yeah. And that's why it confused me. You know, that's different. Like going back to even the Texas game, like you were talking about, one reason he got benched, you know, Rattler got benched, was a couple of bad reads and looking and making bad plays. That wasn't even that. And so that's why I'm like, how did you go that far? And we could get into breaking down Oklahoma State all day long because it's interesting, and I think they're in an interesting spot as a program and right. as a team right now. But, wow. I mean, that may have been their last shot at Oklahoma for, for a long Three years at time. least, yeah. Because, look, guys, if Ronnie Perkins comes back or not, you're getting Jalen Redmond back on this defensive mm-hmm. line next year, and – you haven't even begun to integrate Grinch's guys. You want to go a step further? The secondary is just now starting to integrate Grinch's guys. Shout out DJ Graham. That dude looked like he's going to be a guy for this defense. So even if Ronnie Perkins doesn't come back, like this is going to be a more complete unit. The depth isn't built along this defensive line. It was playing well. Yes, Ronnie Perkins is a, is a superstar, but if everyone continues to take these steps forward, that defensive line is still going to be a problem next year. Talk about a fully, you know, a, an offensive line that has an offseason to figure it out. Like, I, this OU team going forward, it, like, you're, if it doesn't turn into what Clemson does to the ACC, I, I think I'm pretty disappointed as to what this potential is, at least. Exactly. And I'll say this the Big 12's worried, the fellow teams, because you're right. It reminds you a lot of what. Clemson started coming up in the ACC. You know, there was Florida State. There was, you know, this team, that team, Miami. You know, all these were a little bit of competitors. And now all of a sudden, Clemson is like, I'm separating, I'm separating, I'm separating. And with what Oklahoma's got coming in, they're in that mode now of, if it wasn't done this year, we're separating, we're separating, we're separating, we're separating. And that's what's starting to happen because recruiting classes is only getting better in Norman because yeah. they're starting to be more balanced recruiting classes. Really good defensive guys, great offensive guys. You know, almost not the defensive guys that were just, I don't mean it mean-wise, but some throw-ins. Like, right. all right, let's get this guy. He's a, he's a bloomer. Look, and at, at certain points, there were guys that were simply – we need a middle linebacker, and we struck out on our five-star mm-hmm. dream guy. So you fill it with a guy that 
probably, at least coming out of high school, was not someone that OU should be taking when their defense is up and running. You know, things like right. that. Yeah, yeah. Then you get into stuff like that, but uh, it's it, it could be bad news, and especially because we haven't even begun to talk. We are almost 15 minutes in here. The defense was electric, Randy. It was. The defensive line is the story of this game. But let me just read you something casually. Spencer Rattler, facing the best defense he's faced all season long, who I haven't seen him get a ton of plaudits for his game that he played nationally, 17-24 for 301 yards and four touchdowns. Oh, by the way, he also added a fifth touchdown on the ground where he sent Rodarius Williams to the shadow realm. Mm-hmm. That's the best defense he's going to play until they oh, get out of conference game. play. Yeah. yeah. And it just looked like a day. Like Spencer Rattler looked unbothered. He didn't look like it, it was just like a stroll. Like it, you couldn't tell that he wasn't playing Kansas with how calm he looked. Obviously, the defense is but much better. Yeah. But like he wasn't rushed. He he did make, I would say, two bad decisions with the football. And thankfully, Marvin Mims played safety perfectly on both of exactly, those. Exactly. Yeah. But like it, when a dude's feeling it, I'm not blaming Spencer Rattler for maybe forcing one ball when your receiver has position. And especially when you're in the position of the game. Yeah. Hey, we're up. Our for defense sure. yeah. is playing great. We can afford to make that risk right here. It's not like you're in a tie ball game and you're risking something. So, yeah, Spencer Rattler, guys, I mean, a lot of people earlier in the years like talking different things. You and I, I think, are maybe two of the only people that have been saying when he's gone after next year, I mean – People wonder right. why we say that. Look at this past weekend. Look at his progression. Give him, if they get a legit spring practice, to go through the system. The legit fall practice and playing 12 games. Guys, he's not going to be here past next year. This this game, as good as he was, not his best. Like, the dude no. can play better. Like, that's that's what's so, like, scary and worrying if you're anyone else. Is like, it's not like you're like, wow, Spencer Rattler's playing out of his mind. Like, full disclosure, like, I'm a Raiders fan. Right. Sunday night football, the reason that this is one day late is because I begged Randy, please yeah. let me watch Sunday night football. I'm sitting there every time Derek Carr makes a play and going, holy shit, guys. Derek is, like, locked in. I felt that at no point watching Rattler, and then I look up and I'm just like, oh, no, he is absolutely shredding the best defense he's played this year. Yeah, and the, and what was their strength? What was Oklahoma's strength? The secondary. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, just torched it. And I like the game plan they had. And, you know, to his point, these receivers, and actually Sam Mays on the franchise just earlier today, he made mention, and it's kind of what you and I have been saying, and especially myself. I've been saying this is the deepest receiving core Oklahoma has ever had. And right now, that's without Trajan Bridges. You look at Saturday, and you legitimately see, right now, I think two guys going high in the NFL draft, if not first round, in Theo Weiss and Marvin Mims. Right. That's without Austin Stogner playing. Right. No Trajan Bridges. None of the guys coming in next year. I mean, the weapons he's going to have to play with, holy crap. And again, we're now almost 20 minutes in or whatever. By the way, Austin Stogner didn't play in this game. Did you notice it? Did you notice? Yeah, exactly. That first third down. And that's not a slam. Yeah, that's not a slam. That that first third down, Braden Willis, welcome back. Haven't seen you since Kansas State. Slot him straight into Stogner's position. First down. And he looked good. And yeah. that's the thing. As good as Stogner is, Braden Willis, I've always liked a lot. He's got a little more speed, in my opinion. You know, when you watch him, right. he's got that more flowing of a 
almost true receiver play in that spot. Yeah. And so he's a matchup nightmare. And so, yeah, it was great to see him out there. But, oh, my God, and Stogner didn't play. And, oh, by the way, Stogner didn't play. Fine. Cool. Jeremiah Hall played his great game as usual. I love Jeremiah Hall. Yeah. Not only is he a joy to talk to, like the, the dude just gets it, but uh, great on the field. And Brain Willis. Okay, awesome, great. Let's just go to the best member of the H-back room, Mikey Henderson. Oh, ridiculous. <laughs> Which, this is like, okay, we, we kind of talked about there isn't as much running back depth this year due to opt-out, things like that. And We'll get to Ramondre here in a second, we promise. But I feel like, you know, Trey Sermon's freshman year, he mm-hmm. had this closer role of he comes into the fourth quarter when everyone's worn down and he just feasts. Ramondra was kind of that guy last year. He, he got a little bit more right. run than Sermon did his first year, you know, not in the fourth quarter. I am completely on board with Mikey Henderson down the stretch here trying to win a Big 12 championship. Mikey Henderson needs to be that guy. And then next year, like, this is an embarrassment of riches. We're, we're about to get into the territory of, like, there is too much talent that they all need the ball more. But it's hard to say, okay, well, if you're not throwing it to Mikey – but, you know, Mims is just laying out and making this all-world catch that's leading Sports Center. Okay, was was it a bad decision to not give it to Mikey? No. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Right. No, and, and when you talk about Mikey Anderson, I, I, I've i said it time and time again, watching him play. Dimitri Flowers, great. And we all remember the game in Ames, Iowa, where he rushed for, what, 136 yards? Yeah. That was still, to me, like a fullback playing the running back when needed, which that's more what Dimitri is, right? Right. You know, Mikey Henderson is a guy that if you go, hey, every one of your running backs out of the room, here's your other running back. Okay, you sure. think he's a running back, yeah. not an H-back. So what he brings to that position to me is a whole new level, and I think something we'll see come out of Lincoln's bag of tricks, not this year, but next year when Lincoln gets a true offseason to work with all the guys and go, right, huh, almost like a, science, a mad scientist in the lab. Oh, what can I design with this? You know, that's what I'm waiting to see comes out of Mikey Henderson over the next couple of years. So what I've actually always wanted to see, and this isn't a bedlam note, this is just talking about Lincoln Riley being the mad scientist in the lab. Again, being a fly on the wall in one of those sessions would be incredible just because you would just, like, through osmosis, absorb so much just college football knowledge. I've always wondered, what plays does Lincoln draw up? That Then he looks at it for a second and goes... Nah, even that's too crazy for me. Like, even I, I don't like I. That's what I want to see the the reject pile of Lincoln Riley plays of like, because that's the that's the kind of weird I want to get I want to get all up in. Well, and I even wonder if they're true rejects or he's like, yeah, maybe not right now. Yeah, let's let's go back to this later. Yeah, let's let's do this uh, another time. Yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. But um, getting back on track here, another guy, Ramondre Stevenson. We've said, I think that we're both on record as saying, Ronnie Perkins has been electric, mm-hmm. but if Ramondre Stevenson was there for Kansas State and Iowa State, the Sooners are undefeated right now. I, I will definitely say only one loss, and I feel pretty good that they would have you know, won them both. But yeah, definitely only one loss, and right in the playoff picture at that point. Because, and here, this is exactly why. This game's a perfect illustration. Ramondre was busting him open in the past game. He had that big, I think it was a 45, 46-yard catch, second play of the game, where I think everyone on the Oklahoma State sideline said, oh, shit. You're right. Here we go again. Like, I like the stadium was about to blow its top off because I think everyone knew after that play this game was over, which is just bananas to say that you can be in a game and after two plays say it's done. But uh, 
it was the fourth quarter where OU just said, you know what? We've been leaning on these Cowboys for three quarters. That defense, it's tired. Ramondra, you, you, welcome back. You want to you wear some guys down again? And Ramondra, poor guy, should have had the first 99-yard run oh, in Bedlam yeah. history. Because he busted that, and I thought he was gone. I, I, was I did, like, too. I opened it up, and I was like, I was like, I was trying to remember, was it Amir Abdullah, or, or what was No, not Amir Abdullah. Uh, uh, dang it. Uh, the guy that went to Syracuse. I know you're talking. Oh, Abdul Adams. Abdul Abdullah. Adams. Well, I always think Amir Abdul. He's the dude that played for, like, the Lions, right? right? It's yeah. Ab- Abdul Ab- Adams. I was like, Abdul Adams is going to be that that poor dude. It's going to be. It was Ramondre Stevenson. We all remember him. And, oh, oh, that guy. Yeah, that guy. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, I thought he was gone. And his power and speed. He is a closer. I mean, you look at that, and it's it's like because overall his numbers, Oklahoma State had done a pretty good job in run defenses. Thanks, Eric Swenson, and um, for being <laughs> you know. And anyway, you look at that; he, they'd done a pretty good job. And like you said, late in the game, it was just like, yeah, it's my time. I'm yeah. good to go now. I'm going to run through you all. Yeah, and that's what he reminded you of a back that was just like, yeah, you're not bringing me down with that arm tackle or anything right. like that. And that's how they did that last drive. You look. You go back and watch that last drive. It was just like, whenever they needed that four or five yards. Hey, Stevenson. Come hey, here. Stevenson. Come here. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, and I think it was like all you needed to know was that first drive, the first three plays. It was you know give it to Ramondre. Okay, passing game. Ramondre busted off, and then Rattler kind of overthrows the little swing pass there out of the backfield. Or Ramondre would have had another positive game, and you're just like, okay, Lincoln's saying we see something. That this Oklahoma State has defense hasn't seen. That's a ton of elite running back play. They had Brees Hall, fine, but we can do things with Ramondre Stevenson that Iowa State doesn't try to do with Brees right. Hall because that's just, I think that's just not their offense. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like it's one of those things that's just it's not a knock on Brees or anything. It's just Lincoln. He's a little more you know wily and and he's a little more creative and has more confidence in his offense. He doesn't have to do it as traditionally, but it was just you could tell that Stevenson was a key. And you could see why, because even though OSU got back up and you know, kind of held him after that, like you said, um, you know, I I actually thought that not even Swenson, but I thought they had some fixes for the GT counter pool, mm-hmm. which is what killed him last year. I saw two or three times that obviously once they recognized it, I'm like Cam Murray was told bull rush into whoever tries to cover you up, and and you can blow it up in the backfield. That happened once or twice. Then you ended up just saying, Lincoln said, okay, but we're also going to throw this look at you that was the godfather play that was the right. Jeremiah Hall touchdown. We're going to run Drake Stoops just endlessly in motion just to say, all right, we're just going to start moving you around because you refuse to play anything other than man. And and it was uh, like I, I tweeted this at the end of the first quarter. Jim Knowles has a Lincoln-Riley problem. Uh, well, everyone's got a Lincoln-Riley Right, problem. but Jim Knowles but, specifically, yeah. has he's not got close. No, not once. And, and that's the thing. You look at that game. I mean, it was 41. Yeah. They could have had 60. Yeah. I mean, if they wouldn't have gone vanilla for a little bit, and some of that's due to OSU's defense. Again, I'm not going to say it's all OU. But they could have had 60 in a blink of an eye. I mean, again, was it after the first quarter? or No, first half, 250 yards, I believe, total offense maybe. Something like that. I mean, OU was rolling offensively. Yeah. And you're right. Knowles has a big problem. But so does Oklahoma State on the offensive side. Yeah, you know, as far as playing against Oklahoma's defense, because all of a sudden, Alex Grinch has what he hyped up and what he talked about all last year, what he tried to talk coming into this year. But I think as much, and I'll say this, 
as big as Perkins being back and he's a man amongst boys, right? Don't get me wrong, that's a huge, huge factor. I think of a lot of it has to do with Grinch and his defense in his second year. Those four games were just big to this defense in general because, hey, they didn't, you know, no spring ball. They were still implementing things. Right. I think some of that was whether Perkins comes back or not. I'm not going to say the line would have been as dominant, but it was already playing really well before Ronnie Perkins came back. We also so saw. About we also saw the David Aguebu has he's taken Deshaun White's spot. He's ridiculous. Which I I feel bad for Deshaun White because again he's another one of those guys that he's a joy to talk to when we get in and talk to him on usually Wednesdays. But when you have a guy with the athletic skill set that Aguebu has, mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense that it's only a matter of time until he mentally you can, you feel confident that he can handle what he's supposed to do at that linebacker spot. It becomes as simple as when you're trying to put your best eleven guys on the field, you figure out a position for David Aguebu, right. and you saw it, and it was on full display. On that third drive with the tip and then the interception, which I'm not sure if it was an interception. Yeah, I'm not sure it was. But anyway, wouldn't they have punted at that play? Yeah. That's what, yeah. That's what I, everyone wants to bring that play up. Sorry, not to distract No, you you're good. It, it drives me nuts because I'm like, I agree. I'm the first to say, I, I, I said, incomplete. Right. But they're going to punt. They hadn't slowed Oklahoma down, so fine. Instead of scoring from 20 yards out, they're scoring from 50 yards out. Yeah, the, bi- the that's big— That's not the difference in the game. The big play— or the big moment on that play was the tip. Right. Because that, that is the play that Tylen Wallace was wide-ass open. Exactly. And that's exactly where Sanders was taking the ball. Um, the big play was the tip. Just the the dive, the getting close enough that it's called a catch on the field, being close enough that you can't overturn whatever is called on the field, that's all just the, the whipped cream on top. No. Because Aguebu, just the recognition, the ability to get up and do that, and just the distress – Oh, you just got a dude, man. They've got several on that defense. Sad part is some of those guys are juniors. Yeah. Some of those guys could declare. I mean, the recruiting job Riley has to do, it's not just for incoming freshmen. Yeah. He's got some guys. Now, I do think in this year it could be interesting to see what happens with guys because I think the NFL draft's going to be a little different. I think, you know, what guys decide since they got that bonus share, if you will. Right. It gives them a little more leeway. Yeah. I mean, these guys that were juniors this year, they're still going to be juniors next year. It's not like they're coming back for their senior year. So it gives them a little more flexibility. Yeah, and I'm I'm really curious. Again, man, I'm just taking us on weird tangents today. Apologies. I, I'm doing the same. But I, I'm also really interested for – I'm not going to name any names, but there are some guys on this team that are seniors – that I think if they went in and told the coaching staff, I I understand that I have another year, but I've done my four or five years of college football. I think it's best. I'm I, like I'm not going to the league. Right. I think it's best to just turn the page and focus on the next step Lot. in life. Maybe you offer them be like, hey, you want to come be a GA next year? You know, stuff like that. I'm kind of interested to know what the conversation is with that guy, with those guys, because there are some seniors on this team that are big contributors that I think that. Um, get the nod this year because they're seniors. Once an actual spring ball happens, I foresee DJ Graham and Woody Washington. Right. No, I I foresee guys like that ready. Like, you cannot hold those guys down anymore. And I'm not saying they're being held down, but, like, they're just going to beat some people out. Well, and, and I don't think those are conversations. Being honest, those guys, I don't think those are conversations you'll have because 
what they'll look at. I mean, guys are smart. Right. They're going to look and go, even if I'm not beat out, all of a sudden, instead of getting 80% of the snaps, I'm only going to get 50. I would like to maybe go to the league. I don't know if I have a future there. I don't know if I make a team. But my best bet to get a free agent deal is now. Is now. Yeah. Sticking around another year, that only hurts my value, even if I play great next year, because now I'm playing 40% of the snaps as opposed to 80%. Right. So I I wonder, I don't know how many of those conversations you'll have. Because yeah. I, th- I think those guys, they're smart enough to read the writing on the wall and go, wow, those two young kids are pretty damn good. Yeah. You know, maybe I should... Yeah, just uh, move all, on. All the coaching staff has to go is say, so at the beginning of the year, you were getting 80% of the snaps. At the end of the year, you were getting 50%. Let's mm-hmm. just look at the graph. Where do you think this is going to be by the end of next year? Exactly. So I think that's that'll be the selling point without even having to be mean because I think a lot of the guys could be good to come back if they wanted to hang around the program to help some of these young guys. As much as we want to rip Trey Brown, you know, a lot of people do. Trey Brown, since that Iowa State game, He's been good. He's been really good. And really even good. though that one play you talk about yesterday or on Saturday, yeah, you know, yeah, he was wide open. He was going to get burnt. But the rest of the game, I mean, let's go back to – let's go in a time machine, back to Iowa State. Between Buki and Brown, how many times did, like, Kohler and the big wide receivers just eat up on eat them. their lunch? Yeah, exactly. Because they didn't know how to handle it. Trey Brown on Saturday. OSU, which rightfully so. Hey, we're down towards the end zone. Woods has got a huge advantage over Brown. They go after him. Trey Brown jumps up, knocks it away. Second time, Trey Brown jumps up, knocks it away. And you know what happened after that? They went, They said, we're not going there Abort, again. abort, abort, abort. Evidently, he's figured out how to play a 6-7 guy. So, I mean, that's where I'm like, there would be things Trey could help some of the young guys in, but those guys are going to use their opportunity to get to the next level. Well, and I think just anyway, regardless of how the defensive line's been playing, if you t- if anyone told you at any point this season, hey, the Sooners, they're going to hold Tylen Wallace to four catches for 68 yards, and half of that production is going to be in the first quarter. Everyone's going to say, well, we've seen some Parnell Motley-esque jumps out of the mm-hmm. secondary, and, and so he's gotten better, he's gotten better, he's keep getting better, and I think he's worked his way into a situation where he can try to play his way onto a team, especially if he finds someone that, that knows how to use him and puts him in the good spots. Well, and he's an athlete. That's yeah, the one thing about sure. Trey Brown. like Because that was the other thing I noticed. I mean, because we didn't have – everyone thought there would be a special teams play in this game from one team or the other. And they didn't. OSU did a great job covering Marvin Mims and, you know, Hutton in the punts. I mean, it just hangs up there. It seems like, even though it's not forever, it seems that way and the defenders are there. And the reason OSU didn't make a big punt return, you watch Trey Brown, that kick happens – and he's in the returner's face like, you're going to go for it? Yeah. Because I'm going to light you up. You want this? You want and, it? And Trey should... may not light him up, but it's that fear of that guy barreling down on him. Yeah, you should, you should wave your hand up there real quick. But, okay, we've got two other things I really want to get to before we get out of here. Um, let's start with the good because, look, uh, I don't want to have the boo. I'm gonna I'm putting off the boo conversation until we have to because, quite frankly, it's it's frustrating to look at. But this, this is more of an – I don't know if this is an OU thing or an OSU thing, but I appreciated how – there is history in this rivalry game. And I think people who say the history of this game doesn't matter once the game starts, I don't think it's like the most important thing, but I think it matters. I think it matters because in in as close as these games have been since 2010, 
in the fourth quarter of these games, okay, we're going to take 2011 out of it for OSU's victory because they were just far and away the yeah, better team. They, 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 they played the Sooners off the field. The only other time there's been a close game OSU has won was the re-kick game where you had a re-kick. And, oh, by the way, OU's starting running back and, and uh, quarterback were not around to try and finish that game out in overtime. Mm-hmm. So outside of that, there's not been a single instance where Oklahoma State has overcome and just said, we're in the fourth quarter, we're in this, we're playing with house money. I think that OU just kind of says, oh, we've done this every single time. We're going to win. And OSU clinches up and gets nervous. This happened right away in this game. OU came out, and that defensive line said, we're going to put the fear of God into this Oklahoma State offense, and they shriveled. Because can I tell you, Randy, we knew they couldn't block this. We right. knew that OSU couldn't block. That's fine. The mentality of this Oklahoma State offense was pathetic. On the first drive, Ronnie Perkins meets up with Spencer Sanders after a rush. What team with a self-respecting offensive line, mentality-wise, is letting the star defensive end get in their quarterback's face and trash talk them? Nobody. An, an offensive lineman is going to escort that defensive lineman back to his At side of the ball. At least between them. And like, yeah. yeah. Um, that third drive where, unfortunately, like Spencer Sanders got hurt or whatever, when Ronnie Perkins ragdolls him, then the ball comes out because it hit the ground. And then Ronnie Perkins then gets up, flexes, and chucks the ball basically at the OSU sideline, which I'm here for, though yeah. that that was the taunting penalty that should have been called. Yeah, that was the one down, not just um, the pointing. Yeah. The entire, like, I was standing where where my tickets were. We were basically in line with the OSU sideline. So if I look straight, I'm looking right down the sideline. I understand, you know, the coaching staff immediately turning to the referee say, that's on the sideline there saying, did you, like, how do you not call that a taunting? That's taunting. I, I agree with them. That was a taunting penalty. It was awesome. It was probably a penalty. The entire OSU players, though, not a single person stepped out to tell Ronnie Perkins, go the hell back to your side. No one. They all also turned and just surrounded the ref. Jelani Woods was the only player on the field who got in between Sanders and Perkins again or even tried to, like, walk Sanders back to the side. Like, I don't understand what has happened in that room. Like, that's the basis of, like, an offensive lineman, you're supposed to be, you're protecting your running back, you're protecting your quarterback. I don't understand how that was allowed to happen, and I think this is an offense that has taken on their leader and Mike Gundy, who is just indifferent about Bedlam. I, I don't understand it. Well, no, I, th- I think you're right, and I've said it forever. Mike Gundy has done a great job at Oklahoma State and continues to do a successful job up there as far as winning this year probably eight games in the regular season, you know, going to a really good bowl game. But what you say is by history matters, in my opinion, is true. And the reason I say that, and I've always said that, from day one, the reason I say it, because look at the most successful coaches, not overall, but at least in the Bedlam rivalry in OU in recent times. Bob Simmons got a victory. Les Miles, he got back-to-back victories at, against Oklahoma with teams like Sam Mazur said before, not as talented as Oklahoma, but they won back-to-back games right. against Oklahoma. You know why? The history didn't matter to those guys. It didn't matter to Les Miles. He's from Michigan. And I don't mean because Michigan's all high and mighty, but he had nothing to do with this right. rivalry. All Les Miles did was look around and go, hey, that's a top-rated team over there. But you know what? So are we. We're going to go win. History matters to the other sideline in this game. Mentally, 
it matters. It gets between their ears, whether it's early in the game and OU's offense goes down and scores like against melted butter, right? which is what they treated that defense like on the first drive, and then the defense comes out and bitch slaps the offense. All of a sudden, it mattered to everyone because that coach on the sideline, he turned a piece of coal into a diamond in the first two minutes. Right. You know, I mean, he compressed that between his butt cheeks, and it was gone. Yeah. I mean, that that happens. It matters. And I'm not trying to be hateful. But that's where when everyone goes, who else is OSU going to get that's better than Mike Gundy? Because let me tell you, the OSU bandwagon right now is all on board getting rid of Mike Gundy. Right. And there is a part of me. I agree. Here's the thing, Oklahoma State fans. I agree on both sides of this with everyone. Who are they going to get better than Mike Gundy? I don't know if they get anyone better that's going to stay at Oklahoma State. That's the key. You've got a guy that loves his university. You've got a guy that loves where he went to school, loves where he coaches. And, yes, he's flirted with other jobs, but has he ever left? No. Right. He's not going to leave. Now, you could maybe go get a guy, in my opinion, that could get that edge back to Oklahoma State and maybe help you win a Bedlam game, maybe help you win a Big 12 title, maybe two. But then when that happens, that guy's taking that Michigan job when it opens up. That guy's taking the USC job when it opens up. I think for Oklahoma State fans, that's what they got to realize. There's a fine line between, yeah, maybe you can go get someone better, but can you go get someone better that's going to stay there and help this program maintain the longevity of success that Mike Gundy's let them do? I, I guess, and this is just something that I, I'll never understand because I, I have family that lives in Stillwater, you know, mm-hmm. enjoy visiting them, stuff like that, but, like, I don't spend a ton of time in Stillwater, stuff like that. So I, I guess I don't understand the it has to be an OSU guy because only someone from OSU can sell Stillwater because, to me, if it has to be an OSU guy, yes, Mike Gundy has a mental block in Bedlam, there's not a single OSU guy, unless you are literally picking someone from our friend Sam Mays' football team, that those three, four years at Oklahoma State, who then had nothing to do with coaching in this region, there is not a single OSU guy that's not going to have trauma coming into this football game. Right. Like, you, like I think, I understand that you're not going to get a guy that can stay, probably, because guys like that will move on to one of the diamonds. Like, I get that. And it sucks, but Baylor's pretty had a had a pretty damn good run. Uh, I'm with Houston. You. Even Houston in Group hey. of Five had a really good run using the stepping stone. And then yes, the luck ran out when you know Major Applewhite didn't pan out. We'll see what Holgerson can do, stuff like that. But I'm just like, it, maybe you, it's as simple as, um, oh shoot, uh, Washington. He retired last year. Uh, he was the Boise State Peterson. Oh, Peter, yeah, Peter, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's as simple as. You can go to the group of five and say, we're an upgrade in every way from a Boise State. Mm-hmm. It's a guy that's not one of the young men of coaching, all that stuff, who's looking for, okay, I could see myself here five to seven years and it be my last stop. You get that next guy who you just need to change that last little bit of the culture because the Big 12 title the last decade, the last two decades has run through Norman. That's not changing anytime soon. Bedlam wins is going to correlate to Big 12 championship opportunities, and it's not happening while Mike Gundy's there. Like, if you think this is bad, if you are worried about Mike Gundy in Bedlam, imagine a year in which he, yes, he gets a win in Bedlam, but he has to do it again 
in a Big 12 championship game. Do you think that magically he's going to rise to the moment in a Big 12 championship game against Oklahoma when he can't do it just year in and year out? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're right. and But that's what I'm meaning by Oklahoma State fans have to make a decision in their head. You know, like, say for the big money guy that may be willing to go, hey, Holder, here's the money, buy him out, I want him out. You better brace yourself because back to what you were saying. Yeah, go get that mid-level guy. But realize if he does what you want him to do, Odds are here he's here five to seven years max. Right. He's not the long-term answer. So that's why I say I don't get the it has to be an OSU guy for success. I do get it has to be an OSU guy to stay in Stillwater for the long haul. Right. So that's why I get it. But how about a Zach Robinson? Right. You know, he's coaching in the NFL right now. Yeah. If he wants to come back. And, again, I'm not campaigning for Gundy to be fired. That's what's sad. It sounds like I am. But I think Oklahoma State fans just need to know where they're at right now with the coaching situation. It's not a full-fledged stepping stone job, but it's also not the job that a guy's going to leave. Hell, Lane Kiffin's not going to leave leave Old Miss and come stay at Oklahoma State forever. Right. Would he maybe take the job at Oklahoma State? Hell yeah. That's In my opinion, Oklahoma State's better than Old Miss. Sure. But you know what? When, when Lane gets rolling – when he gets the lane train going, he's going back to the Raiders. Oh, sorry. yeah, he's going somewhere, and I'm not. That's not even against Oklahoma State, but that's the level of that job. Well, but and here's the thing too. So I like I get not wanting to be labeled as a stepping stone program. I get mm-hmm. that it's it's hard to shake. But of the quote stepping stone jobs, if OSU entered that category, they would be far and away the best one, no doubt. And so I have a lot of faith that OSU could still have a ton of success of this guy comes in for three to five years, this guy comes in for five to seven years. That, like I believe that they're in a spot with their facilities, with the recruiting, that it can go to another level, I think. Uh, and again, not saying it needs to be like a top 10 recruiting spot, but I think it can get up, ticked a little bit. My thing is, would you be okay as an Oklahoma State fan if I told you that you were going to have a different coach every five years – and that coach is going to leave you for a bigger program, but you're going to probably win a Big 12 title in that five years. Yeah. You take that. Every Texas would take that right now over what they've been doing. No doubt. And you would take that. And you know what? I'll go one step further on Stepping Stone Program because what we're factoring is hiring head coaches and stuff like that. You never know. Maybe it's not a Stepping Stone Program for every year. You go hire – Let's say the guy at Coastal Carolina is the next up and great coach and you're right. able to get him here. He brings his offense and defensive coordinator. They start rising as stars. He takes a job, but instead of that great star assistant he has on his staff, he likes it in Stillwater because he's going to get to be the head coach following that guy's footsteps. And he does spend the next 18 years here as your head coach. Maybe that's your next way to try to get a long-term solution as a coach. Well, I look at look. I've said that on this podcast before about Cincinnati. Like yeah. I, I Fickle's great. I also think that Marcus Freeman, their defensive coordinator, could be a big-time defensive coordinator. Can you imagine? You bring. I, I think that Fickle's kind of. I think Fickle's conti- like he's going to stay there until he gets to his dream job, whatever it is. But whatever. But in a hypothetical scenario, say two years ago, right. up and coming Luke Fickle brought in. Then you've got Freeman, their defensive coordinator. That could be like the exact thing you're talking yeah. about. And that's what that's what Peterson did at Washington. His defensive coordinator took over, and now Washington looks like they haven't missed a beat. They look better this year than they did last. Like it's not necessarily 
a bad thing. And and I think that we need to come up with some different term because I, I think that OSU, even if they're in that situation, they're above stepping stone. You right. know what I mean? Exactly. Like, but that's why I say, like, the Freeman guy, if it was here, all of a sudden he's been here for four years, let's say, five years with Fickle. Fickle gets a job. They hire Freeman as the head coach to replace Fickle. All of a sudden he ends up spending 12 years here. You know what? He may be okay with staying and making this his destination job. Maybe that's the way you get to a long-term deal. I, I do think something eventually is going to have to be done mentally, whatever. I don't know if they need an exorcism or what, because they're not getting over this hump anytime soon. They just and that's that. not being an OU grad or someone that's covered it for a while. That's just seeing the writing on the wall. They I need, mean, come on. They need that in-dugout sports psychologist that Alabama softball had the year that they won the that rainout uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Women's College World Series. I know that's a huge deep cut, but that year that uh, OU had the had their rain jackets on and was trying to say, you know, we need to move it, and the sports psychologist is like, no, get out there and dance in the rain and embrace it, and then Alabama wins that national championship. They need that dude. Well, how about this? He you was want, good. He was, and I'll go give you another example of maybe how a different mindset can change a program. Let's go to the baseball side for Oklahoma State. Matt, uh, Josh Holiday, head coach at Oklahoma State, his dad – was around Tom Holiday during Oklahoma State's, God, was a 23-year run of Big 12 championships where I can tell you following that program for years, Oklahoma, not every year, but let's say out of that run, five times were the better team. Right. And OU would have a meltdown in the championship because that was the lure that Oklahoma State had over them. Well, in the end, when Sonny Galloway was here at Oklahoma, he started doing that to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma had become the better baseball program far and away, than Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma had than Oklahoma State. All of a sudden, Josh Holiday gets in here. In his first couple of years, he doesn't have the better program. But guess what he's doing? He's not necessarily finishing in front of Oklahoma, but the Bedlam series rolls around. He's taking home the Bedlam Bell because what? He grew up in his mindset of, no, we're better than you. Right. And that's what he did. Now, that doesn't mean the series hasn't evened out since then. But it's evened out. It's not dominant here or dominant there. It's what rivalry games should yeah. be. It's, it's back and forth. Hell, even Auburn is like four and six against Alabama the last decade. Yeah, because they believe they belong. Yeah. And the coaches believe they belong. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting, Ryan. And I think it's going to be something that Oklahoma State's got some decisions to make. And I don't know what they are because also everyone rips Casey Dunn. And it seems like we're turning this into OSU podcast. Well, I mean, uh, look, we'll talk about Buki here in a second. Right. And we can do some ripping of our own. Uh, everyone rips Casey Dunn. But I think what we're not forgetting about, he got this offensive coordinator's job. He did not get spring ball. He's right. doing like everyone else. So let's give that guy some credit. Then maybe he's a pretty good offensive coordinator. There's a reason other schools came to hire him. Maybe he's going to be a pretty good offensive coordinator. But let him have some time. Yeah. Let's not just act like, well, he doesn't know what he's doing. No, maybe he hasn't had time to implement his system. Yep, yep, for sure. All right, real quick before we get out of here, let's let's talk Buki. So he has the taunting penalty, which kind of – that's what people remember, not that he played pretty well. It's just one of those things that this one I think you can credit to was the pointing a soft penalty for a rivalry game like this? Sure. But it's also a dude who has done himself no favors over the past two and a half years with the officials in this conference, with the opposing offensive coordinators who all say, 
oh, we want to target 44 on the field. Like, it's just one of those things that this is what he is, and he's a guy that makes good plays and then has something catastrophic that costs either points, yards, or an ejection. Uh, I, I, I don't know what to say because I'm one that's defended Buki a lot. Right. Not all the time. I mean, I threw him under the bus against Iowa State. Just horrible. But you're right. For the most part, we haven't even noticed Buki for the last several weeks. And it's not that people haven't targeted him. It's because he's done what he needs to do to not be a focal point. And you even look at that and you go, well, look at that play on Saturday. And you're right. Horrible. But after that play, did anyone mention Buki's name again, good, bad, or indifferent? Right. So you know what that tells me as a safety? He did his job the rest of the game. Why that stands out more than anything, OSU scored one touchdown in the game. Yeah. They scored it because Buki put his head up his rear. Yeah. I mean, that plain and simple. And you're right. If that's Trey Brown doing that, that flag is not thrown. Well, Ronnie Perkins, like we already said, two or three times during the game, much worse than anything Buki did in the refs. I think the refs were actually scared of Ronnie if they threw the flag on him. What would Ronnie happen to him? Ronnie was this close to putting his taint on people's forehead. You know I mean? Come on. It, exactly. I mean, he was like, this is my field. You're not going to be on it. Ronnie, Ronnie said, I'm tired. I'm tired of hearing about this Oklahoma State defense. I am going to single-handedly put us on Sports Center, And he did. And so, yeah, I mean, that's why I look at Buki. I, as much as you want to feel bad for him, but it's like, you're a smart kid. Talk to anyone that's covering him. Talk to anyone that talks to him. A very smart kid, and you're just like, what happens on the football field? Yeah, that, that switch flips, and it's just... Uh, like, oh, my God. And I know, I think part of it, he's an undersized guy. So he feels like he's got to play with a little bit of that edge, right? But how about with a little bit of brain and edge? Yeah, you use the use your smarts to help you out because you see it in different places that he makes when he's identifying stuff and blowing it up. And sometimes he's not able to ultimately make the play, but you can tell he's the one there. He's the one recognizing. He's the one getting it done. It's it's just frustrating. And and for this guy, this is not a new thought. It's not an original thought. But that play against Kansas, where he forces the turnover and then fumbles it, that's going to live on as Buki's legacy in Norman. And he's going to continue to get yelled at by everyone in the stands. And I, I feel bad for him. I, like, I feel bad for him too. And I I think unfortunately at this point, it's kind of one of those. It is what it is. Things you know. And people go, why does he still play? For the exact reasons you just mentioned. How many times, even if he misses the tackle, but who's the first guy there on reading a special scheme play that right. the team's running? It's Buki. Yeah. It's Buki. It's Buki. It's like his name's mentioned a lot for good reasons, but everyone looks at the bad. And it's not a defense for him. Again, I'm not over here being a Buki for president thing over here, but I'm like. I might. But I'd maybe. vote for him. But it's like. <laughs> What in the world? You know, you just feel bad for a guy because you're like, dude, you had some group of people going to start defending you, and you go do that. You force the turnover, then you fumble it. Yeah. It's just like thinking back to Texas last year. He's the dude that blew up Tom Herman's entire offense, his entire, you know, the motion out of the backfield, the screen game, stuff like that. Every play last year, Buki's the one fighting through, blowing it up, allowing, you know, it it put Tom Herman back into the box, where then Ronnie Perkins and co. just – absolutely shredded them but it's frustrating and honestly randy it's like it's like annoying to talk about because it's just like it it's it's not going to change there's it, there's obviously no one behind him that can make the plays that he makes on the high end so like it's not going to change uh, maybe after another spring ball getting guys and it might next year don't but hold even your breath then, as smart as he is i don't know if it does because of the reasons you just mentioned 
because everyone else on the field is getting better. We're going right. to say that, right? I mean, it looks like Graham's going to take over there. Woody Washington's playing better. Trey Norwood's in there. That defensive line's great. Well, let's have that smart guy in there and Buki that can at least direct the guys in there. Yeah. I don't know if it changes next year, no matter what the talent is that comes in. He's going to be on the field a lot. Yeah. Because he doesn't hurt you. Well, <laughs> I was going to say he doesn't hurt you mentally, but you, you get when, what I'm saying. When he does hurt you, it's usually in flags. Right. So you get what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, so he's not going anywhere. Oklahoma fans, buckle up. You've got another year of Buki. Yeah. It, it is what it is. But uh, look. The Sooners now, they they pretty much control their fate. There is one wonky scenario in which OU could win out, and they don't make the Big 12 championship game. We will talk about that next time we yes. get together, no, as well as previewing the big matchup with West Virginia. It'll be really interesting, Randy. This uh, West Virginia game is going to be fun because uh, – there's obviously a lot of emotion that goes into a big win like this. They need to refocus, though. Mountaineers undefeated at home. Their defense is stout as well. They're much. I thought their nickname was Couch Burner. Yes, that too. Okay, that too. I, I don't know if they're allowed to burn couches right now in 2020, but we'll see. You know what? Hopefully we don't find out. But we will preview all of that next time for Randy Heights. I'm Rich. I'm don't follow us on Twitter at RJHeights1077. Be sure you follow him. For the international incidents that he starts, I am Ryan Chapman (laughs) at Radios Ryan. We will see you guys next time.